This is the only way is Glastonbury, revealing the rebel heart of England's most magical town. Here we go, episode two with Mr. Dan Love, a good friend of mine. We've probably known each other for about seven years, I'd say. Something like that. Since yeah. our girls started school, I guess. Yeah. And they're now in secondary school. Uh, so. Secondary school. So yeah, probably about five, seven, eight years. Something like that, yeah. So you're kind of a guy with different kind of aspects to you, I guess. You've got different kind of roles in life, would you say? <laughs> DJ? Yeah, yeah I, I think... I, football I, coach? yeah. Uh, you work at the, or live at the Avalon Permaculture Gardens. Yeah. Uh, you're into music, you're into Taoism. I guess we're pretty similar in a lot of ways, so. Yeah. Perfect for coming on. Thanks for coming on. Hi, welcome. Podcast. Welcome. Pleasure. Um, so you live in Butley. Yeah. You don't live in Glastonbury. You're no. a bit like me, you can see the tour, but don't live in its shadow. That's it. Um, but where did you come from originally? I was born and grew up in Seven Oaks. In Kent, right? Okay, which is, I think, uh, I think its claim to fame is it's it's uh, one of the richest, maybe even the richest town in the country. Is it? I think so. so yeah, I mean, we didn't live in the poshest <laughs> bit, <laughs> no. But uh, yeah. yeah, so near London then, is it? Yeah, so it's commuter belt, right? Say so twenty miles from the centre of London. And that's where you grew up. That's where I grew up. Yep. Um, was that in the eighties? Would you say? Yeah, Teen- yeah, teenager I, in the born 80s. in '68, so yeah, the '80s was was yeah, I was 12 in 1980. Yeah, so. okay. And how did you find your way here then, into Glastonbury? Well, um, many many steps led me here. Yeah, but um, and the big steps were, I think, age 22, I was working for Sainsbury's. Right. I did did A levels at school, worked for Sainsbury's, and. I did a management training scheme, right? And and back in those days, I was a Thatcher boy, so voted Thatcher, wore gold jewellery. Really, drove a, <laughs> I can't imagine that. I know, I know. Drove, drove a, a sort of a fast car, and um, and I looked around me, and and I saw all these people working for Sainsbury's that uh, that had worked there for well, it's called lifers, really. Yeah. And, and they really encouraged it. They encouraged in, intermarriage between people at Sainsbury's. And it was good for them to have people yeah. there for a long time. Yeah. And I just thought, whoa. You know, it was one of those wake-up moments where I thought, wow, this really isn't for me. And even though I was doing well and I've been offered promotions, chats I'd had with my neighbour, who'd done a lot of travelling, right. really got me excited about going backpacking, which was a real change for me. Yeah, okay. So I did. I went backpacking. went backpacking for a year and a half, sold up. The, the manager at Sainsbury's told me, sat me down and told me I was an idiot <laughs> and uh, don't do it, um, you, you'll ruin your life. Where did you go? Oh, I did, the, did the, the big tour, so it was India, Nepal, right, Thailand, well. Malaysia, Australia, New Zealand and back again. Yeah. I was going to go come home by America on around the world thing, but yeah. I really loved Asia. So, And it was actually being in India that um, really woke me up and yeah, I left... Uh, a conservative and came back a kind of eco-socialist <laughs> and just you know just being in India and being yeah. submerged in that uh, in the paradigm of mm. the devotion to the divine right 
was was incredible, incredibly awakening for me, and yeah. um, it, it began a, a process okay. that led me to come to Glastonbury. I guess it was um, well. <laughs> you really up for this story? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It goes on. Yeah. So That's I why we're here. I bought. A, uh, I, I was asked to be not long after I got back from travelling. I was asked to be godparent to a, a, a friend's child's christening. And I was at the, at the christening, yeah. and, I, and I had a really great chat with his brother, and his brother was a horse-drawn dude, okay. and he introduced me to the idea that you could, in this country, live in a caravan. Right. And that really appealed, because I'd just been travelling, and I loved the, the space that that gave me, and the freedom, and you know, I, I was a good boy scout, so I, I, I can live under a hedge, it's not, that's not a problem, you know, living yeah. simply, and, and combined with falling in love with Gandhi and his teachings while I was in India, live simply so that others can simply live. It really touched me, that, that yeah. phrase. And so I bought a caravan. Right. 500 pounds from my mate's brother. And uh, I can remember the day where I towed it to the West Country. It was okay. such a day of freedom. Well-trodden path, I guess, from India and back to Glastonbury. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, there'd, there'd be a fair few yeah. that, have, that have done that. <laughs> but yeah, I moved to Bristol. I had a girlfriend who was at university in Bristol. Found a farm to live on just north of Bristol, and then uh, just lived on this farm in my caravan, living a simple life. Went to university from there, and uh, is a mature student. And uh, and then uh, split up with with the girlfriend, um, but then had uh, met someone else, and she was from Glastonbury. Right. And the relationship had been going on for a little while, and it was great. And and then something happened to me that's never happened to me again and okay. had never happened to me before. And I can remember the moment really, really well. I was leaning out of my caravan door, putting some dirty washing in my rucksack that I hang over the, the, the door in the awning. Yeah. And as I leant down to put it in, I heard this booming, this booming voice that said, move to Glastonbury. Really? <laughs> in your head or just... Well, it just, sounded like it was outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah it did. It did. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, uh, Fucking hell. It, that, that had never happened to you before, and uh, it's not really happened to me again. No, but I thought I'd better listen better to that. Better listen to that one. <laughs> Someone shouts it at you. Yeah, so um, I couldn't move in with my girlfriend for various reasons, but just came down this way and found somewhere to live in Somerton. Built a bender in a in someone's garden in right. Somerton. Yeah, and that was the beginning of that was in two thousand. Yeah, so okay, so of, 20, 23 years ago. Yeah. And about the, the festival, did that ever was that a big thing for you or not? Not really. Um, you know, I came to the festival before I moved down this way. Um, I went. I think the first one I went to was the, the first one that Oasis and yeah, it was when I got back from travelling and still living in Kent in the mid nineties. Yeah, ninety four. Yeah. I think that was the first yeah. one. Um, so I remember talking yeah. to you because we we've known each other quite a while and we go running and go raving and all sorts of stuff together, but. I remember you saying to me once, we were talking about the festival, and you said that your life at home is like your festival. You're so happy where you are and content with your permaculture garden. You don't really need to go out to a festival anymore. You're happy to go out for a night, but you always want to go back to your place, which you found is perfect for you, which I really respected that view. Yeah, I think I I can look back and, and see a period of my life where I was definitely what I would call a seeker. So I was really looking for my purpose. I was looking for yeah. my place, my purpose, what to do. And in that time, festivals were brilliant. 
that they were an escape from the life that I had that I wasn't 100% um, okay with. And to go and live in that sort of community situation on the land yeah. with all that creativity and people doing their thing and permaculture areas and all of that, that was inspiring. And so while I was looking for my thing, it was brilliant to go to a festival. Yeah. But then I found my thing and I uh, found my purpose and I found my place. And having found that, um, it's like um, a relationship with life where I, I'm not looking anymore. Yeah. I'm just, just being. paying attention to what's going on yeah. and responding to life and the project and the land and all of that. So actually, to go, I, I found myself on holidays and at festivals where I've just thought, what am I doing here? <laughs> I want to be back. You know, the, the fruit's dropping off the trees at home yeah. or there's things to do which I really want to do. You know, it's like, it's a bit, it sounds a bit cheesy that, that, yeah, my life's a festival at home. But I know what I mean by that. I know what the, you mean, yeah. In yeah. that I'm just, I'm super motivated. I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. It, it's connecting, it's fulfilling and, yeah. Yeah. What, how would you describe permaculture then? Someone who's never heard of the permaculture. Term What's permaculture? Um, there's lots of ways to describe it. Taoism in action. Yeah. One way. It's a very Taoist um, sort of philosophy or, or practical way of living in harmony with nature. Yeah, which is a tenet of Taoism. Yeah, and and that that is um, applicable in in growing. In, in growing food, but also in in ways of living and ways of being and interrelating and and yeah. that aspect of permaculture, the the interpersonal stuff, uh, and the the, the self care, um, yeah, that's I think I think those two things I was really motivated by the the, the self care uh, and the 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 planet care, yeah, and and. And Avalon Permaculture Gardens. Because you get people coming from like all over the world to work on the on the farm yeah. for the agriculture. And you do amazing apple juice, honey, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I guess you're also teaching people how to do it as well. Along yeah, the way. I mean, we get woofers. Woofers come along. We're part of the woofing organisation. Yeah, and that has been brilliant for me because um, you know I still love that sort of travel vibe and. The, the, the big part of that is sort of meeting other people from different walks of life and chatting and, and sharing ideas. But I don't want to travel in the way that I travelled in that big trip before. So woofing brings brings them to you, brings them to me, and yeah, and yeah it's really it's, it's like a full circle where I was hosted by some interesting people when I was travelling. I I'm trying to do that now, and yeah, and, yeah, and it's, repay, it's repay, really working. It's, repay, it's beautiful. Mate. Yeah. So you also have like. Um, Courses on your on your land, don't you? Taoist breathe, breathing. Is it Andy, the guy who yeah. lives, on, lives there yeah, as Andy well? Portman. Andy yeah. Portman, old Taoist legend yeah. around. Um, so, yeah, what, um, what sort of things are you up to at the moment? Um, well, we, we have ongoing the locally famous or infamous uh, Barefoot Practitioner training course, which yep. is a, a nine-month-long course... Um, which, if I had to describe it in a sentence, I would say it was about shifting 
your identity away from egoic patterns, personality, strategies, uh, limiting beliefs yeah. towards uh, identifying as the Tao, as presence and um, you know interconnected with all life. So, and that's a, a year-long course that you dive deep into your own story and through meditations and and other processes breath work, and breath work, work breath it's work, essential yeah. to it yeah um it's like meeting all those places in yourself that stop you from experiencing yourself as presence sounds pretty good yeah and it's in, incredibly <laughs> intense yeah. and that's why i say infamous infamous yeah i guess quite a few people have come through the, the loads process. Yeah. loads yeah so there's a yeah. large community of people in and around glastonbury that have been through the courses and and much further afield. Yeah. And what kind? What does your practice look like today? Do you have a daily practice or a weekly practice? Um, I've had periods of time in my life where I've had a really strong, dedicated meditation practice. Yeah. And um, now um, I, I don't meditate as such, where I sit down and close my eyes and yeah you know meditate in that way yeah but i spend a lot of my time because i work a lot at home uh, on the land i spend a lot of time in a kind of meditative space where i'm just through practice i guess being present to to boys i guess that's like a zen type of way of thinking is it the japanese zen i get that they kind of find meditation through everyday tasks whether it's digging or tri- pruning apple tree you know all these things can be if they're done in, in the totally. mind state they can be used as a meditative tool absolutely i think i think um I, it's something that i've said a few times that i have my most inspired thought um when up a ladder hedge cutting yeah so it's something that requires no brain power to yeah. to cut hedge uh and I don't know. It's just I've had a lot of in, you yeah. know, revelations. Because yeah, I used to be a landscaper, I know exactly when you've got ten tons of soil, yeah, and you've got a shovel, and you've got a wheelbarrow, and you've got whole, all day to move it, yeah, and you get into the zone, repetitive. You know, your body just knows what to do, and your brain just wanders off into all sorts of other places. Yeah, I also get that when running these days. I get you know if I'm trying to write an essay or article mm. that comes to me when I'm running that repetitive put the side France on so I can't hear anything but banging music oh really do you or, find that helps the yeah, side yeah, yeah. Right. I guess it's like a hedge cutter <laughs> <laughs> just drowns out that you know you don't I guess the hearing senses has taken over you know, mm. listening to but not with words though eh no words no because that makes you think of yeah. the words yeah. yeah that's why I think and the side trance give you the beat to run fast I guess yeah right brilliant so um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, strangely, was football. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> you're um, the coach of my son, who's eight, mm-hmm. and a rabble of kids at Bolton's Brisk School. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm always quite in awe of watching your coaching abilities. I guess this you're an old Millwall fan. I Is am. Millwall near where you come from? It was my local team. That was your local yeah. team, yeah. And... Um, yeah, the, the boys are a bit, you know, boisterous, but they seem to really respect you, and probably more so than their teachers, I would imagine, half of them. Um, and uh, 
just to gloat a little bit, you were playing Millfield the other day. Yeah. <laughs> there were only like eight, eight to nine-year-olds, I think, in the team. But yeah. um, I've got a bit of a beef with Millfield because I went to the local comprehensive and they used to thrash us 80-nil at rugby every week. And when your little your lads beat this Millfield team, I was on the side cheering and shouting. And I just felt like there was some sort of fatherly <laughs> redemption going on. <laughs> really? But um, I think, yeah, you use football in a way to get in, in with the in with the children and mm. make them better people generally mm. I think most football coaches could probably learn a bit about that how did you get into the coaching the football um, I mean I just love football so um, I love football and I, I guess when I first moved down this way um, and, and the, the girlfriend that I was with her son um, was six when we got together and, and after a couple of years, uh, we were together six years, and after a couple of years, I, or uh, maybe it's after three years, and I just thought, oh, I really want to do something with Jake. Yeah. What can I do with Jake? And, and he, was, he was into football. I thought, oh, no, I'll, I'll set up a, a boys' football club. Yeah. So, yeah, set, set the club up. That um, was at Baltonsborough. That was at Baltonsborough. So it wasn't at the school, but it was, right. it was a Saturday morning club oh, okay. at Baltonsborough. Baltonsborough Wanderers, we call right. ourselves. <laughs> Not towards Bolton Wanderers, who are a, a, a team, yeah. a professional team, but the Wanderers was that most of the kids were hippie kids or traveller kids. All oh, right, so they were so Wanderers. We like the we yeah. like the, the name, and uh, and yeah, we were a right rabble, and um, yeah, I, I got trained. I did the, the FA coaching badge, and yeah, th- that was that was where it began, really, okay. but. It's a funny thing, football, for me, because it's like I'm interested in spirit and trying to move from beyond the stuff that you were taught as a kid. But there's this thing about football, and my dad was football crazy, and I he supported Tottenham, and I had to support Tottenham. Mm. And it's like I don't know why now, after all these years, I still support Tottenham. I've got nothing in common with mm. anyone from Tottenham. I've never been there. Mm. All the people who play for Tottenham aren't even from England mostly, they're not even from Tottenham. Mm. I don't know why I've got this thing. Mm. But if they put the scores up on the TV, I'll always have a look to mm. see if Tottenham win. And we never hardly won anything in all my life, but I've still got that thing mm. deep down inside me, which I don't think I'll ever shake. No. And it's actually got worse because I've passed it on to my, my son and he's got football crazy. But yeah, it's a funny thing that. Well, I, I, I think um, for me, football and family are... It's a beautiful combination. It's like, so uh, two weeks ago, I took Jamila to the football. She wanted to come. Oh, right, we yeah. went up to, to see Mill Sunday. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. Went to the, you know, went to the pub before yeah. the game. Um, How'd you get on? Uh, drew one all, right. and they, they equalised with ten minutes to go. It was a bit <laughs> gutting, but that f- for her, she may have a similar association with Mill for the rest of her life, and she may not ever go to another Millwall match again yeah. but she has had that yeah that is like special time to yeah. be um, we get the train we got the train you know we we, we we were eating eating on the streets you know a pint before the game the excitement of it all the massive energy that is a football crowd yeah. and I'm there with her it's just very bonding Especially for blokes, I think, as well. You're not very good at showing emotion generally. I guess, you know, you're not like that anymore, but your oh, dad was. might have been like no, that. Oh, absolutely You was. actually hug 
each other and scream and kiss and shout and cry and you know nowhere else does that happen no but in a football that, it was crowd. a lifesaver for me when I was a kid when I was when I used to go to Millwall on, on my own sort of age 15 used to get the train up there and I used to comp- I used to come home hoarse <laughs> but because it was, a, it was an outlet and I didn't have that outlet in my life it was like in my family life emotional expression well that didn't happen yeah. so for me you know it, it, unconsciously subconsciously I created that opportunity for myself to just go and let go yeah. and release yeah and um, I think it's still happening definitely today, yeah definitely Brilliant. yeah and uh, the other thing I think we bond over is music quite oh, yeah and we're both sort of pretend amateur DJs um, we played at a few parties together yeah and um, hopefully that will carry on in the future I reckon but what we did do not long ago was the um, school disco oh uh, yeah <laughs> Which was hilarious. It was our daughter's last year at primary school. Yeah. And I think you came up with the idea of doing this school disco as a kind of a rite of passage. Mm. And um, they were all leaving small school, about to go to big school. And they were, all, they were quite a close-knit yeah. community at the school. And they all gone off in their separate ways to different schools. But we did that disco at the end of term. I thought that was quite a brilliant time. And then the elder kids stayed on till midnight and danced with us old fuckers. <laughs> Yeah, that was brilliant. Really yeah. enjoyed that. Any um, future ideas with any more music? I think is it you're in a samba band? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in a samba band. Absolutely love that. I do I, I rehearse every Thursday, yeah. and then um, we do gigs all year round. Really, really loving it. Yeah. So music is another way of like a shared experience, I guess. With yeah, people. Yeah, shared experience, and you know, you mentioned raving. It's like I definitely say that that completely changed my life. Yeah, you know, me just, too. Yeah, just um, you know, obviously chemically assisted, and yeah. um, but just utterly profound in what it unlocked for me. Was that your first raves? Were they like in clubs or were they outdoors in the wild? Um, I di- I didn't discover it until I went to university, so I was twenty seven. Right. Okay. When I went to university, what was that nineties? Late nineties. Yeah. So nineteen ninety nine in uh, Mutant Dance in Trinity in Bristol was oh, my I know first Trinity. proper rave. Yeah, and um, just yeah, I mean, I was ready for it, and it, it was, but it was a, it was a big, a big, um, a big moment, a big step in. Yeah, because I mean, if most people who've never been to those sort of raves. Imagine it's like a club, but it's nothing like that, is it? It's no. like there's never I've never seen anyone angry, no. never seen any violence. Everyone's just loving each other. And the first time I ever went was in, I guess I was yeah, it's sixteen to eighteen, and we were going to Longleat Woods and mm-hmm. raving out in the mm-hmm. middle of nowhere, and the the side trance was banging out, and it was just it completely mm-hmm. changed everything. And everyone there is friendly, and absolutely, happy and chatty, and you're like, this is a different world. Totally. And that's what I grew up, you know, in my formative late teenage years doing. Mm. And um, I, I think I'd keep going until I dropped dead. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to ever stop, really. Obviously, slow down a little bit. Can't well, go I, all night like I used to. But I, Someone um, said on the bottom of a, 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 I think it was a 60th birthday party invite for one of the Triber Frog crew. Yeah. And it said a on the classic bottom. Bristol side trance. Yeah. Lot. And it said on the bottom, um, you don't stop partying when you get old. 
you get old when you stop partying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that. I like that indeed. I think that's probably a perfect uh, end of this Brilliant. sweet little podcast. Um, thanks very much for coming on again, and um, let's hook up soon. You're welcome. Nice one. Cheers, Squirrel. Cheers, everyone. So we're back again. We were just having a little chat at the end there and um, talking about magical tales. And Dan's just got another one. We've got to just squeeze in there at the end. It was about you know, another part of how we got to Butley. I guess you're in Butley, yeah, yeah, you? which yeah. is just outside Glastonbury. Yeah. Part of the Zodiac, I guess. You're part of the influence of... Right in the middle of it. Right in the, yeah, of course. You're right yeah. in the centre. Yeah. Yeah, so um, just an extra little magical tale. Yeah, um... So Avalon Permaculture Gardens, I'd been going there for sessions, one-to-one sessions with Andy and I'd done the, the barefoot course and I absolutely loved what they were doing there and all what I'd seen, no one was walking their talk in the way that Andy and Ella were in terms of people care and planet care. Yeah. So I was really, I used to get the soul shakes when I was there. You know, yeah, the you know, shivers. And shivers, yeah, yeah, where I knew I was in the right place. And um, I was on this guided meditation, um, uh, and, and in this guided meditation, I saw really, really clearly in the meditation, me and Maya, my wife, living at Avalon Permaculture Gardens. Yeah. And that wasn't, it, it couldn't have been an idea or a following on from someone else doing that, because... It was just they, like a flash in your mind, or... A, yeah, it was a clear, a clear vision, as you can envision things. Yeah. And um, no one else had ever lived there. They they were quite sort of protective of the place. Anyway, um, after a while, I, I emailed them, and it felt right. You know, it really felt right living yeah. there. So I thought I'm going to email them. Yeah. So I sent them this email and told them that this I had this thing, and and that it, it felt right to me, and I, I, I'm I'm writing to to check it out. Yeah, and. Uh, and, and, and I got the email, they returned the email, and I was in Cairo, I was on, a, on my honeymoon with Mayo. Oh, right. <clears throat> and Not up at, a pyramid, were you? Well, we had been in the pyramids, <laughs> yeah. Which is very interesting, that's yeah. another tale. <laughs> but, um, Ella wrote this email saying, well, thanks for your email, that's very interesting. Uh, last yeah. night, uh, Andy and I put out a prayer uh, to draw to us two people that wanted to come and live here mm. that had done the work that had done the work that they teach that's giving and, me the shivers now <laughs> right yeah. and, and that when I talked earlier about finding my place and and my project and what I was to do that was uh, that, that was that was the moment really and since arriving at Avalon Permaculture Gardens whenever that was 12 years ago it's like the connection with the land and the project yeah, and the people. It's a, it was a soul, yeah. soul thing. So I guess the the main thing about those two experiences you had, the voice mm. shouting at you to move to Glastonbury mm. and the vision, mm. other people might not have acted on those voices or those visions. They might have just seen it as a strange coincidence, but there's something in you that made you act it's, and made you do it. Makes life more interesting, doesn't it? does, and I think <laughs> those sort of experiences you have to take as real. And if you don't, you might just miss out on opportunities or pathways in life that you may never have gone down otherwise totally yeah yeah i mean i think if if we led our lives according to just what we ourselves could imagine we're going to limit ourselves yeah exactly you limit yourself by your own imagination yeah so uh yeah let the world take control totally (laughs) thanks again dan nice Dan love everybody